don't know about you, but I didn't want to stop singing. Thank you guys for leading us. Amen. Well, uh, I want to make a couple more announcements um, that I forgot to ask Larry to reiterate. Uh, one is uh, most of you are aware that we will be having a memorial service this Saturday morning for Dan Reynolds here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the, uh, the family will be receiving uh, friends and, and, and others at 9 o'clock. If anyone wants to come early to speak with the family, um, and if you can't come to the memorial service but want to see the family, you're welcome to come between 9 and 10 to see them, and then we'll have our service at 10. Also, um, there's been a little bit of a change of plans with the summer schedule. Uh, a couple weeks from now on August the 14th, uh, Jay and Brianna Stokes and their family are able to be here. Uh, originally, they weren't able to be here until sometime in the fall, but they are traveling from Pittsburgh, which is his home area, uh, to Allentown, which is her home area, and they'll be <coughs> moving uh, themselves there to, to, to live there for, the, uh, for several months, and so there'll be a perfect day for them to, to come through, and so they will be with us on August 14th to share uh, so we look forward to that. Also, wanted to make uh, you as a congregation aware of some needs that we have uh, in the uh, nursery and the children's church areas. We're making up schedule for the fall, and uh, so we would love to be able to have a few more nursery workers and helpers. Helpers are uh, anyone from eighth grade on up who may be able to help out with those who are working in the nursery. We may need a, an extra hand with, with some of the infants, which is a great, a great problem we had not had uh, a, few a few years back. And so we're excited about that. And so if you're uh, able and, and to, to help out in that way. And also for Children's Church, we need um, some who will help teach as well as be helpers. And again, the helpers can be adults or anyone eighth, eighth grade and above. So if you are willing to help out in those ways, if, if in the nursery you can see Ginger Street or Melody Baum, and if in the children's church area you can see Amy Kilcup, then uh, we'd love to be able to get more people involved in those areas helping. If you are uh, able to help, we do need you to have your, um, the background checks uh, to the church here. Some of you have them, but we don't have a, a record of that, and others of you, you can get on the website and fill that out free of charge um, if you're able to, to help us in those areas. <clears throat> so, thank you for that. Well, let me go ahead and pray. If you would open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1, and then uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask the Lord for His help in our time today in His Word. Gracious and merciful Father, we bow before Your presence today. We come in the mighty name of Jesus, we come because we've been invited into, your, into a relationship with you through Christ. And so we ask today that you would help us. I'm very aware that we can be, many of us can be easily distracted by so many things, uh, things that are coming up this week that we're, we're on our mind already. Maybe something that's been said this morning already, something that 
that uh, happened in our, in our home this morning that is, is still distracting us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to, to calm our minds, to focus our attention upon you and your word this morning. We ask that you would teach us, guide us into all the truth. We desire to be more and more fashioned, transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it's through your word, by your Holy Spirit, that you do this work. And so we ask that you would give us an attention and a willingness to hear what you have to say to us. Help me to communicate clearly. And we pray all this again in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Some of you may remember the story of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson who went out camping one, one, uh, one time in the woods and they pitched their tent under the stars and then they, they went to sleep under, under the, the canopy of the, the tent. Sometime in the middle of the night, Holmes wakes Watson and says, Watson, look up at the stars and tell me what you deduce. Watson says, well, I see millions of stars. And if even a few of those have planets, it's quite likely that some of those planets are like Earth. And if there are a few planets like Earth, then it's quite possible there's life on other planets. And Holmes replied, Watson, you idiot, somebody stole our tent. You know, we can at times make the mistake of, of just thinking about things that we can't fully understand and the philosophies that we have no real good answers for to the detriment of common sense, um, practical things of life that, that we can have an impact on and we can make a difference in. And so what we need is what many would call common sense. I would call biblical wisdom. And if we're going to navigate the, the, the realities of the world in which we live today and the craziness of our culture, we need biblical wisdom. We need to understand how God has designed things to be. What God says to us about how to function on this earth as human beings made in the image of God, under the authority of God, and how He would have us to walk practically day by day. In the introduction in the New American Commentary, the introduction to the book of Proverbs, the writer says this, the function of the scriptures is not only to lead unbelievers to repentance and faith in Christ, but also to instruct and nurture believers with truth that transforms our understanding and our lives. If this is so, then the believer must study the wisdom literature of the Bible. And the Christian minister must preach it, regardless of the difficulties involved. In view of the current moral climate of society and even the church, 
We're in desperate need of the instruction offered by these books. In an age when seduction, domestic conflict, financial mismanagement, substance abuse, and dishonesty often seem to be behavioral norms, we must allow the Spirit to transform us with truths from biblical wisdom. Here we can learn to reject wrong and harmful behavior and choose the paths that please God and bring happiness. A way of life that arises from faith in the Lord. Biblical wisdom literature, and especially the book of Proverbs, teaches how to deal with the practical, ordinary issues in life, such as social skills, financial prudence, and personal discipline. The results of our investigations into these matters will be well worth the effort. And so we come here to the book of Proverbs in our expedition through Old Testament poetry. We now come to this book of Proverbs that I call the guidebook for successful living. In the book of Proverbs, we can divide it into three sections. We have the introduction in the first seven verses of chapter 1 which tells us the purpose and theme of this book. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, looking at these first seven verses, understanding why this book was written, to whom it was written, and for what purpose. We also have in chapter 1, verse 8, through chapter 9, the end of chapter 9, what I call fatherly wisdom. It's you know short talks that are designed primarily uh, to young people, and they're written to young men. To, uh, it's a father writing, if you will, to a son or two sons. And so frequently throughout this section, you see him saying, uh, sons, hear my words, hear my instruction. And so within this section, there is a heavy emphasis upon uh, this fatherly wisdom and guidance. Uh, one commentator says this about this section. The writer's purpose here is to draw the strongest possible contrast between the results of seeking and finding wisdom and those of pursuing a life of folly. Both wisdom and folly are intensely religious and extremely practical concepts. Wisdom begins with the fear of God and moves out into the whole range of life. Folly is not ignorant but the deliberate disdain of moral and pious principles. It goes on to say, although by no means devoid of specific instructions, chapters 1 through 9 serve largely to clarify the issues involved in the choice of wisdom or folly, righteousness or wickedness, and to prepare for the several hundred specific proverbs which follow. And in that last section, what I call general wisdom, we have these short, pithy statements, general statements of timeless truth. The Proverbs touch on every facet of human life and relationships. Its principles transcend the bonds of time and culture. Most of these are either synonymous parallelism, and we talked about that before, uh, or antithetical parallelism. Synonymous parallelism is when the first statement and the second statement are parallel statements, just written in different ways. For example, um, in Proverbs 11, verse 25, says, A generous man will be prosperous, 
And he who waters will himself be watered. And so that's a synonymous parallelism between being generous, right, and watering something or, or uh, pouring out to someone else, and then that, that will bless that person. They'll be prosperous, or they will in turn be watered. And so that's one of those synonymous uh, parallel proverbs. And then there is the antithetical uh, proverbs, one that says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so that's the antithetical, right? In one sense you've got wisdom, in the other sense you've got folly. And this is how most of these proverbs from chapter 10 on are written. Most of this is written by Solomon. But the last couple chapters, we're told that there were certain kings who, who contributed to these proverbs. But so that's kind of the overview of this, um, this book. And, and there are, if you were to kind of follow this thing through, you'll see there are basically two paths in life. See, the book of Proverbs lays out for us. There is the way of wisdom, and there is the way of folly. The way of wisdom would be an understanding of God. Right? You, you should have this in your notes. An understanding of God that gives one the ability to skillfully apply knowledge to the circumstances of life. And so when we understand who God is, and we apply that truth to our lives, it gives us the ability to skillfully apply knowledge to life circumstances. The way of folly, on the other hand, is an understanding of self that gives one justification to order his own life as if there is no God. It's a focus on self. It's a self-centered understanding of life that gives a person in their own mind the justification to live out their life as if God does not exist, and some would say He doesn't exist. Others would acknowledge that He may exist, but He has no real say in what I do with my life. He doesn't either care or I don't care what He has to say. Because when we focus on ourselves... We think it's all about us. And so we live as if we are the most important person. And what we think goes. Thus the culture we live in. It is the way of folly. Now we can make the mistake of thinking then that everyone who buys into that is a fool. Someone who is deliberately living that way which is not always the case. Many people are caught up in this way of folly without really understanding what's going on. The book of Proverbs is written to them. We have to be careful when reading the Proverbs to make sure we understand them properly. And one of the words of advice that one writer says is that in seeking to interpret the various Proverbs and apply them to life, one must bear in mind that they are generalizations. Though they're stated as absolutes, which is their literary form requires that, they are meant to be applied in specific situations and not indiscriminately. Knowing the right time to use a proverb was part of being wise. 
So as they have in our notes there, these are generalizations. They're principles, not promises. Guidelines, not guarantees. So when we read a proverb, like Proverbs 22, 6, that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise. It's a principle. It doesn't mean that if you just pour a few good things into a, a child that they will live that out the rest of their life. No, but what it does mean is that when you put into them, it will be with them. They may choose to go a different way. But the principle, the guideline is, pour into your children the proper things. And those things will remain with them, and they will be a source of guidance if they choose to use them. You see the difference between that being a principle and then a promise? And so we have to be careful when we read the Proverbs that we don't see things as they were written and say, oh man, that means that if I just do this, then I'm guaranteed this outcome. It doesn't mean all that. These are principles. And so we come now to this first section, the purpose and theme of the book of Proverbs. Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let me break this down. So, of course, we see in verse 1 that who this is from, the Proverbs of Solomon. And this is probably a statement that is in reference to the entire book, though, again, I said there are a few that are designated as from coming from other people. But primarily, this book is coming from Solomon, who is said to be right the wisest person, apart from Jesus himself, that ever walked this earth. Because he, when God asked him, what do you want? He said, I want discernment. I want wisdom to know how to lead this people of yours, rather than asking for riches and, and all that. So God granted it to him. And he's writing this to help us understand. And so we see that he writes it for this purpose, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. The purpose of the book of Proverbs is to guide one in the way of wisdom. To guide one, to guide you and I, to guide people in the way of wisdom, as opposed to what the way of folly which would be our natural default left to ourselves in our fleshly nature, which, again, characterizes the culture we live in, which also helps us move in that direction if we're not careful. Because we're surrounded by that thinking, by that philosophy that says you are the most important person in the world, and life is all about you. And so make decisions that benefit you exclusively. And if you've got to step over someone else, if you've got to ruin someone else's life to get there, who cares? Now that's obviously an extreme 
way of thinking, but it's the reality. We clean it up a little bit because we don't want to be or look really ignorant, but but that's oftentimes the way. And and it it then filters down into so much thinking that is just so exact opposite of the, what the Scripture teaches. And so this book is written to guide people in the way of wisdom. So we need knowledge in order to walk in the way of wisdom. And so it is to know wisdom and instruction. Right? The word know is what we would think it would be, right? To perceive, understand, to acquire knowledge. Wisdom is what, you know, again, what, what I have said, wisdom is knowledge, experience, intelligence, insight, judgment. It's the skillful application of knowledge to the circumstances of life. It's taking what we know, what we've been taught, what we've learned, gathered, and then applying it skillfully to situations that we are living in. Instruction is correction or discipline. It's usually verbal, not necessarily corporal, though that may be a piece of it. Primarily, though, this, this word is, is dealing with the correction, the discipline that a parent gives to a child who is growing and learning. Again, what is happening in our culture? We're telling parents, oh, you can't, you can't discipline your kids. Let them be a free spirit. Let them figure it out as they go. Huh, how's that working out? Wisdom says you guide them, you teach them, you instruct them, you correct them, you discipline them along the way. And then verse 3 tells us kind of how this thing plays out. The wisdom instruction. So that they receive instruction in what? Wise behavior. So they behave themselves Properly, with righteousness, justice, and equity, by what is right, that is conformity to a standard. What is that standard? God's Word. What God, the Creator, has determined to be right. Not what you and I think is right. Not what our culture says is right. Which is whatever you want. Justice, that is what is just, what is fitting, and what is proper. And then equity, what is fair or pleasing in a situation. And so the Proverbs are designed that we would know wisdom and instruction so that we receive instruction in wise behavior. That we live out these things in relationships with other people. Also, to give prudence, verse 4, to the naive. And to the young, knowledge and discretion. It speaks more about the, the wise person imparting wisdom to a, uh, someone else. The naive person and the youth are people who do not have full understanding. As opposed to the fool who knows, is not ignorant, but chooses this way. And so there are many people who are living in accord with a way of folly but are naive 
and young in their understanding. They're not necessarily thumbing their nose at God and saying, I want nothing to do with you. They just don't have a clue who God is. They don't have a clue what it means to walk, to walk in relationship with God. Because the culture's been bombarding them with a different way of thinking. Proverbs was written to say, listen, young people, listen, those who are not fully knowledgeable in these things, here's the way you need to go. And I don't think that it's, it's an accident that the first nine chapters are written to young people. Because the younger we understand this, the sooner we grab hold of the reality of what it means to live under submission to God, the better our life will be moving forward. I've said this so many times, and I think it's so true. When we're young, we think, well, one day I'll be all grown up. One day I'll have an understanding of things. One day I'll think like an adult. That one day never comes for some people. Right? Still feel like a child, still think like a child, and still oftentimes act like a child, though maybe they've learned how to curb some of that behavior as they've gotten older. There's still such childishness. It doesn't just happen one day, you wake up and oh, now you're all grown up. No, it happens over time, one day after another. And the sooner we get serious about following Christ, about submitting our life to the God who created us, who has a plan and a purpose for our lives, the better off our life will be moving forward. And the longer it takes for us to get there, the more baggage we bring with us. The more baggage that needs to be unpacked along the way. The more junk that we have in our life. A lot of the most big, the biggest decisions and, uh, and most impactful decisions we make in life are when we're young. Right? We decide who we're going to marry. We decide what kind of job we're going to have and our careers and our, all, all that. We, we decide oftentimes who we're going to be like. Uh, all those things carry us through all of life. So the sooner we get serious about this stuff, the better foundation we lay for our lives. So I really want to challenge young people. Again, because we live in a culture that continues to push that age further and further out. Right? We keep giving people a pass uh, until they're 30 years old, until they grow up. Like in biblical times, when you were like 12 years old, you're expected to be a man and a, a woman. And we, we, we just have done a disservice to young people by continuing to let them be childish and not giving them the responsibility of being a man or a woman. And so I want to challenge you. Don't wait. Don't think, well, one day I'll, I'll get there. Take it seriously now. You will do yourself a tremendous favor. You will do your uh, future spouse and your children a tremendous favor by getting serious about this now. You will do society and the body of Christ a tremendous favor. And you will honor God with your life. We need knowledge in order to walk in the way of wisdom. The book of Proverbs gives us knowledge and understanding to help us then 
in our wise behavior, forgive us prudence and knowledge and discretion. The second part of verse 2 tells us the second piece of this, and that is to discern the sayings of understanding. That word discern means to distinguish between things. To compare concepts and form evaluations. We need to discern. We need discernment in order to walk in the way of wisdom. And so we need to know the difference between right and wrong. Especially in the world we live in today. As I said, chapters 10, 10 through 24 are these short statements that are oftentimes antithetical parallelism, contrasting right and wrong, wisdom and folly. And they're written and designed to be memorable. So I would challenge you to go through the book of Proverbs and look for those statements that re resonate with you, that speak to you and, and give you um, that practical wisdom and make it a point to discipline yourself to begin putting those things to memory. Take them with you. Let them guide you. So that the book of Proverbs can actually be a guidebook to successful living. Again, a simple statement as I read before. Um, <clears throat> He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's a great statement to say, okay, how am I going to choose my friends? I'm just going to take whoever comes along and, uh, you know, whoever's funny, whoever I have a good time with. They may not necessarily be the best person to hang with. So you evaluate. Who, who do I want to spend my time with? Who am I going to let impact and influence my life? What kind of a friend am I going to be? It's just, Proverbs is chock full of these kinds of statements that help us evaluate where we are. Right? If you're a person that, that tends to talk a lot, you might want to read some of the Proverbs that talk about the tongue. Right? Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Oh, maybe there's a place for me to shut up sometimes. Right? And then, you know, an apt word is like settings of gold in, in, in uh, our, uh, yeah, settings of gold in, in uh, yeah, I forget the exact word, but basically the right word spoken in the right circumstances is, is wonderful. So for those of us who tend to be a little more introverted and who keep quiet all the time, maybe there's a time to speak up when you've got something to say. Because what you have to say might be exactly what is needed in that moment. Again, if you've immersed yourself in the Word of God, then you have something to say at the right moment. <clears throat> so that you can give prudence to the naive to the youth of knowledge and discretion. Discretion is the person who thinks through things, the person who ponders the reality of stuff. <coughs> we need that in our world today. And then verse 5 
verse 5 kind of brings those two things together, the, the knowledge and the discernment. And says a wise man will, will hear an increase in knowledge, will listen, and an increase in that knowledge. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Man of that word understanding is discernment. Verse 6 kind of continues that issue of discernment. To understand or discern a proverb and a fig leaf, the words of the wise and their riddles. So the book of Proverbs is given to us because we need knowledge and we need discernment. And it's written to give us these things so that we are able to walk in the way of wisdom. But it's not just written to the naive and the youth. It's written to all of us. Because verse 5 says, a wise man will hear an increase in learning. Will keep learning. <clears throat> he never arrives. And so we continue to need this. I have found that I, since I have begun to put to memory more and more Proverbs, <clears throat> I have found that they have been helpful to me in making decisions, but also helpful to me in counseling other people. You know, when, when someone's just un unsure, unsure what they're going to do, and they're just, I don't know whether to go this way or this way, or what, what to do, and, and I'm reminded, right, Proverbs says, the, the, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I can just remind people of this, that God, God has a plan. I know you've got a lot of things going on in your head and you're trying to figure it all out, but guess what? God will direct you as you yield that to Him. That's pretty good. That's right from God's Word. I found early on in ministry that I was always having to try and come up with a, my own understanding of how to help people think through things. And I can tell you it wasn't very good. Gives us that. And then we come to verse 7 and we, we have the, the theme. The theme of the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the theme of this book. If you want to walk the way of wisdom, then you must learn the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. <clears throat> One commentator said, this reverential fear of the Lord is the prerequisite of knowledge and of wisdom. The term fear can describe dread. It's used that way in the Bible. Being terrified, standing in awe, or having reverence. With the Lord as the object, fear captures both aspects of shrinking back in fear and of drawing close in awe. It is Excuse me, not a trembling dread that paralyzes action, but neither is it a polite reverence. The fear of the Lord ultimately expresses reverential submission to the Lord's will and thus characterizes a true worshiper. <clears throat> he says it's the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. The word beginning means first, it's the start. If you want wisdom, it starts with the fear of the Lord. But the word also means uh, origin and essence. 
And so the essence of, the, of, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's where it starts. It's where it is. It's where it ends. Without the fear of the Lord, you don't have wisdom. And I would, I would say that even though Solomon was the wisest man who walked this earth, at one point in his journey, he seemed to lose a sense of the fear of the Lord and began <clears throat> to let his wives, these foreign wives, dictate what was going on in his life. And he lost a sense of the fear of the Lord. Therefore, seemed to lose a sense of wisdom. So it is the beginning of all this. You cannot gain wisdom and knowledge if you start at the wrong place. It is the essence of true wisdom. The fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? I'll give you three statements that I think as I've looked at this throughout Scripture, uh, I've tried to understand how this works in our life. First of all, we need to recognize the Lord. It starts with a, a recognition of who God is. When we start as if there is no God, and it's all about me, we're starting in the wrong place, and will never lead to wisdom. It will lead to chaos. It will lead to stupidity. It will lead to the United States of America in, in, in present day. We need to recognize the Lord, who He is. Who He's revealed Himself to be in His Word. He is sovereign. He is almighty. He is holy. He is righteous. He's the King. He's the Lord. He's our Savior. He's all the things that He has revealed Himself to be. Gracious, kind, loving, merciful tender-hearted, compassionate, all of these things. We've got to understand who He is. We've got to acknowledge that He is these things. We've got to have a concept of God that is accurate to the Word, not one we make up in our mind. We're all in process of that because usually what happens is we see things in the Word and we, we embrace that, but we don't have a full concept, right? We might emphasize certain characteristics more than others, because we're frail and fallen people and don't have it all understanding yet. But we have to continue to learn and grow and keep asking God, keep revealing yourself to me more and more as I read your word so that I have a balanced understanding of who you are. Some overemphasize his holiness to the detriment of his love and mercy, and others emphasize his love and mercy to the detriment of his holiness and righteousness. And both sides can get it wrong and then emphasize things wrongly. So we keep asking God, give me a concept of who you are that's accurate in all ways. So as we recognize the Lord, then secondly, we need to respond to the Lord. Once we recognize Him for who He is, we must respond to that with reverence and awe. He is the Almighty God. He deserves my worship and my praise and my thanksgiving, my submission, my honor, everything, my service, my life. 
And once we recognize who he is and respond then appropriately, it will then lead, thirdly, to a need for submission to him as Lord. Submit our lives. For I belong to you. You created me. Then you, you sent Jesus to redeem me. And I, I, because I came to a place in my life where I understood that I was a sinner separated from a holy God, and, and I, I realized through the gracious and kindness of others who shared the truth with me, I came to understand that as a sinner I was separated from God, but Jesus came to, to take care of that for me by dying in my place, taking the wrath of God on my behalf, and He's offering me forgiveness and a, a gift of eternal life. And I must take that by faith, trusting Him. calls us then, in light of all that, to submit to Him. He is a good, loving, kind God who has a plan and a purpose for our life and will guide us in that as we yield ourselves to Him. When we do that, we are walking then in the way of wisdom. Our hearts are open to what the Word of God teaches us and how to function and how to make decisions and how, what to do with this or that resource in our life. What to how to follow Him. We start with, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm, I'm important, and, I, and, and I'm the most important person, and, and, and you know, it makes sense to me that, that life should just go by what I feel. My feelings dictate. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm American. Independent. I'm this, I'm that. And, and we overemphasize that piece. And we, even if we acknowledge there's a God, we, we almost come up with this concept that God exists there to make sure that when I get into trouble, He can bail me out. Or we have a concept of salvation that, well, in the end, you know, I get, I get my fire insurance, and so I'm not going to spend my life in hell. But but while I'm here on earth, I can do what I want. That's not biblical. When we have a proper recognition of who God is according to His Word, and we respond appropriately to that, it will lead to submission of our lives. And then God is at work, and we walk in the way of wisdom. It's the way God designed it to be. We were never created to, to live apart from God apart from His Spirit, apart from His work in our life. And again, we don't, have to, we don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize what that leads to when we, when we ignore it. So this is what the book of Proverbs is about. The way of wisdom begins in the fear of the Lord. It teaches us how to walk there. Next week we're going to look at some, some other pieces of the book of Proverbs to see how God is speaking to us through these. That we might have a heart of submission to God and we might walk in this way. It's a path. It's a journey. But it's a journey that leads to life. Path of folly leads to destruction. 
Father, we come before you today acknowledging the reality of this. We realize that that we have as a society over time have continued to disregard you and your word to the point where now it's not even something in the public square that we're often even allowed to bring up. Or our government has moved from a, a government that began by building the whole Constitution on the framework of, of the truth of your word. Now, nothing can be said about God or His word. Lord, it's, it's, it's happened over hundreds of years. We confess to you that the church has not done its job of being the pillar in support of the truth and upholding these things. Now, Lord, we need your wisdom to know what that looks like for us to recapture that. How do we do that properly in our society? And Lord, as I see your word, I see Jesus as he walked this earth in the context of a culture that was not favorable to God, a, a Roman citizenship that was had their own gods. Lord, I, I see Jesus building relationships and influencing and impacting lives one at a time. So God, may we be a people who follow Christ. The example He set, we would follow Him in accord with the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We would invest in people. And we're so thankful for disciple makers and, and the philosophy they have of reaching college students where they are with the truth of the Gospel and relationally discipling them to Christ and Christ-likeness. God, may we be a people who submit our lives and walk in the way of wisdom. And Lord, we're excited about the journey. And Lord, we're excited about what you have for Cornerstone and who you have designated already because in your sovereignty you know who this person is going to be that will fulfill this role of an associate pastor. We're excited about that and what you will do if you bring that piece together and how you're going to work. We lay ourselves, lay the future into your hands. We, we acknowledge our trust in you. who you are and how you work. We pray this in the name of Jesus.